Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that if you don't have a favorite toilet at work, then you're doing life wrong. It's Dale. <laughs> yeah, well, ain't that the damn truth. You got a favorite toilet at work? Yeah, you got to get the one with a good gripper seat. <laughs> and the good toilet paper, too. Yeah, the good toilet paper and the one that's not so scrungy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least... It's the, scrungy at work. At least the one that's clean. Yeah, scrungy, I guess that's how you uh, describe a bathroom toilet. Yeah, especially when it work, man. They're all nasty. Yeah, <laughs> just nasty. But you got it, you got it, I guess. Yeah, and they, the toilet paper just is rough. Yeah. Yeah, very rough. thin. Rough. Very thin and rough. <laughs> it's a John Wayne toilet paper, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Rough and tough and don't take stuff off. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say rough rider, but okay. No, it's rough and tough and don't take no shit off nobody. You know? That's it, John Wayne toilet paper. <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. What's going on today, bud? Oh, same old, brother. Same old, same old. Same old, same old. That's it. As we always say. Uh, same old, same old. We're going to have to put that on shirt. We always say that. Hell, I guess really it ain't same old, same old, is it? We've had a hell of a week. We have had a hell of a We've week. We've had a hell of a month. Yeah. And it's only six days deep. Yeah. As uh, we record on this uh, Thursday evening. Yep. Uh, for some reason, our downloads have just like... Doubled. Tripled it almost in right. a way. Yeah. So to all you guys, we like to welcome our new listeners, but all you guys... A round of applause for you because we really appreciate it. Yes, just, we do. It just blows our mind. Everything is just crazy, and uh, we love it. We do too. Yeah, we love it a lot. So we really, really, really appreciate. Yeah, you guys. it blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's unfathomable the the downloads we're getting. Yeah, yeah. And so we don't know if it's uh, finally getting on Samsung or if uh, all you guys are listening to ten episodes a day. But whatever it is, uh, keep it up because we really, really dig it. Yeah, we do. Blows our mind. And if your podcast platform allows it, please give us a rate and review. If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever you listen to, if it allows it, please do. That's right. Get on there and do it. Do yep. it, do it. And if you want to go to the store page and get you some kind of cool merchandise, please do that too. That's right. Yep. Get on there. Got to get you a new shirt for summer. And uh, if you just want to tell somebody about us. Yeah, do that. Jump on there. Join our Facebook page. Don't forget we have an official Facebook page, and we also have a Fans of Facebook page. Yep. We appreciate everyone. We're always in there checking it out, so give us a holler. Yeah. Well, dude, we're going to get started on this episode. Let's do it. we, we got a doozy. Messing around. We'll, get a, we'll get an email if we mess around too long. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> last last week we did the Circleville Letter Writer. We did. We covered that. But this week we are continuing with the Circleville Letter Writer. Yes. And we are privileged to have a special guest on the show. Her name is Marie Mayhew. She is the host of the Whatever Remains podcast. Right. And she has took a deep, deep dive into this. Double deep. Yeah, this uh, Circleville Letter Writer. Her podcast, she did an eight-part series, and I think she's got some more episodes to come. Right, but she is an expert. She on, is the expert. as close as you're going to get. The expert on this. Right. So we are so pleased to have her on the show. Yeah, because we, uh, you know, we had a few more questions, you know, because our stuff we can run across, and we sure you guys did, so this is just going to be amazing. Welcome to the show, Marie. Thanks, guys. I uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate being with you here. Um, and I hope I can live up to that. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go be all end all, but um, yeah, it's an interesting subject. It can it can suck you down a rabbit hole pretty quickly. Very well, quickly. I listened to your podcast on this, and I was just drawn in. I mean, it, it just every episode you had on it was just. I couldn't wait to get to the next one to see where it was taking me and what was going on because all my research, you know, it didn't fill in the holes like you did with your podcast. So that's right. why, that's why we have you on the show. Well, thank you. And I, I still have 
I've taken a hiatus just because, you know, I think as everybody experiences, life happens. Um, but I still have four episodes yet to put out on the uh, the trial, the criminal trial of of Paul, and then the his subsequent incarceration, the okay. the mystery of how he could have been doing it if he was incarcerated at the time. Yeah, which is which is we're just getting to the good part. <laughs> well, we know you co- you uh, do the Whatever Remains podcast. Tell us a little bit more about you. Oh, absolutely. So. I got into podcasting, um, doing research for, um, gosh, it's been about, I want to say it's been a while now. It's been about seven or eight years, um, with Astonishing Legends. So I was one of the original members of the ARC that did all the, some of their, you know, research into, um, man, just all kinds of different crazy stuff. Uh, the Mary Celeste, the ghost ship, um, all kinds of, you know, interesting historical topics you know we did a deep dive on um on tesla for a portion of it that was really interesting i i met my other co-host uh dr chris cogswell on that show we host um we host a, a podcast called the mad scientist podcast which is again just sort of a you know scientific look at uh weird anomalies paranormal and kind of trying to figure out what is what's the truth from from science fiction um and i've just kind of you know fallen in love with with uh, the strange topics just kind of probably a lot like you guys and it's it's you know you start to get your brain going on stuff and it's really hard to it's hard to turn off i get um, it yeah. yeah and so it's like you got to have an outlet somewhere right so, absolutely you know, yes. turn to the podcast yeah how did you get interested in the Circleville letter writer? What put you down that rabbit hole? Yeah, well, I think like a lot of people, it was um, it was Robert Stack and Unsolved Mysteries and the trench coat, right? yeah, the trench coat, the fog, yeah, the fog. You yeah. know, <laughs> you could solve, you know, you could solve an unsolved mystery. Um, it was just one of those stories that I saw that I was just fascinated by and. You know, it was so, it had so many, you know, hooks in it that's a good mystery, right? Like the wrongly accused man, you know, the seemingly omnipresent um, narrator who who knows everything about this town, you know, and again, it's a small town, so there's always small town intrigue. Um, And it was just, you know, one of those, one of those stories that kind of just stuck with me. And I, I started to think about it. And I remember even telling, um, um, telling Forrest um, over at Astonishing Legends, I was going to do it. And he was like, I don't know if there's much to that. I mean, hasn't that, you know, hasn't that been pretty much researched? And, you know, if, if, if it's on unsolved, unsolved mysteries, what else, you know, what else can you get from it? Um, and then like, yeah, that's, that was like a few years back and, you know, I'm still kind of turning over stuff, finding out stuff about it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, everything we listened to and read about that, you know, Mary Gillespie was the first one to receive a letter, but we listened to your podcast and I learned that Gordon Massey was the first one to receive a letter from the Circleville letter writer. It is, it's interesting because she is the most known to receive a letter mm-hmm. and the majority of the letters that were written were focused on her and her family um or were about her and her family um so 
it was around, I want to say um, the late 60s is when people believe that they started to, you know, get these letters um, in Circleville. Um, definitely the ones to Mary Gillespie were the first, the first ones within the early 70s that were starting to mark, hey, this is, you know, um, um, targeting her, but also targeting Gordon, Gordon Massey, sending him to Gordon Massey's house, um, sending him to the Board of Education, um, sending him to the school districts, just sort of this really widespread approach to convey this message, what, which was that um, originally it was really much more focused on Gordon Massey and that Gordon Massey was, um, it was an abuse of power, right? He mm-hmm. was he was sleeping around with the teachers and uh, the female bus drivers in his in his schools. Um, you know, he was targeting them. It was unwarranted attention, and um, and Mary wasn't even really named in them to begin with. It was just like he's picking on these certain, you know, sexually harassing these certain bus drivers, and um, you know, you guys have to look into it and you have to stop it. Um, cause if you don't, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make this public. So he needs to, you need, you need to bring it, you need to bring it to the public's attention and to fire him it was the original intent of the letters, Okay. which is, it's interesting. Cause again, I think when you think of Circleville, you admit, you think, like you said, it's, it's really targeted on Mary and that didn't come until that didn't come until later. Hmm. That's so crazy for them to send her a letter you know, claiming that she was having an affair with him. Then coming out later, her coming out later after Ron gets killed, that mm-hmm. they are having a thing. Yeah. And in my research, I, you know, in, in her court case, so in the court case, um, the, the defense attorney really grills her about that. And, um, you know, asks when did the sexual relationship with gordon massey begin and um does not let her off the hook basically kind of i don't want to say calls her a liar but comes pretty close and Mm -hmm. says um um you know that he um that this you know how could you not remember the date that you started to sleep with gordon massey because she said that in her testimony she couldn't remember um but she knows that it was not before her husband died Okay. So, and there, it's you know, like as you can imagine, it's it's hard to find anything, um, you know, any kind of any kind of proof of of that except for what what she's saying or what she is testifying to. Um, Gordon Massey, you know, he all the research that I did on 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 him, um, you know, and I tried to be fairly extensive to the point of like um, freedom of information. Ning Act, his, um, his, his, the records of the school, the employment records, the minutes of meetings around the dates that would have been kind of pertinent in this, in this case, like, hey, so these were when the letters started to arrive in the school districts. Were there any, were there any notes about it, you know, in their, in their meetings? You Mm -hmm. know, did they talk about it? Was there anything about it? couldn't find anything hmm. couldn't find anything and it's it's kind of funny because it's like again this all happened which is now ancient history you know in the in the 1970s um and so people had to go back into like you know deep deep archives like some of the records were being kept in 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 the uh in the gym the gra or the you know the closet in the back of the gym that 
some they didn't have the key for anymore mm-hmm. you know so it was like really like um almost um you know this 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 uh deep dive to try and find any kind of scrap of paper that said anything about gordon massey and i just i came up with uh kind of just his general records his employment records which were pretty pretty bland you know there's there's not a lot about him written in the paper that's that's you know that would raise an eyebrow um they did separate him and his wife did separate um before these events or did try a trial separation and then um got back together but then later divorced after all of this yeah i guess the mary is the one that really intrigues me the most out of all this you know her and her sister-in-law karen they go to florida Mm-hmm. Uh, take this oh, yeah. little, take this yeah. little trip, and it. Me and Dale have talked about this, and we have talked about this, and it just seems so convenient for her to be out of town and her husband Ron get killed. I don't, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I don't know. It's just very convenient to yeah. us that all that that all that went that she had a convenient alibi. Yeah, for it. Um, I, I think that this event to me. Um, and I talk about this in the podcast, is I think the pivotal or one of the most pivotal events in the circle of a letter writer. This is after this event, um, things escalate. The letter writer moves his their general focus away from uh, Gordon Massey um, much more onto Mary herself. Um, and this is also when you see the the booby trap with the gun, mm-hmm. right. right? So it seems to me that this is this is a, a, a hugely significant event. And like you said, um, Mary Gillespie and her sister-in-law Karen Sue, um, who is married to Paul, uh, go out of town. Um, they take a trip to Florida, and during that time, that night, they're away. Um, Ron hypothetically receives a telephone call he's at home he's been he's been drinking some beers or drinking something he hypothetically receives a telephone call he um goes upstairs grabs his gun um tells his daughter hey that he's he's going to go and he's going to confront the people or the person who has been terrorizing you know them all this time um leaves and then is in a uh, a accident yeah. um, on Five Point Pikes, where basically he sw- he swerved off the road, he skidded about thirty feet and went front end into a into a large tree. Um, you know, and there's a lot of there's a lot of you know kind of speculation around that. And so, uh, you know, like Mary was not there, um, Karen Sue was not there. Um, who was who? Who did he get the telephone call from? Who was he going to meet? You know, was it an accident or was it was it foul play? Um, he had a gun in the car and the gun was missing a bullet, had a spent round. Um, you know, were there car were there bullet holes in in his truck that he was driving? All of these things was was he drunk? You know, so there's all of this sort of speculation around around those events um and i I did you know i did get all of the evidence and the records back from the accident report and the supplementals at that time and it's it's 
it is very interesting. And I think that this is, um, when I got this, this is when stuff started to click in place for me more. And I started to, I started to question the narrative of the story that I've been told for, for all of this time. So, um, you know, I would ask you guys, like, what do you think, like, what do you think of those, of those events? Like that he, he gets this call, like, what is your take on it? I don't know. I, I, I put my, I tend to put myself in the situation of, you know, when things happen, what would I do mm-hmm. in something like this? You know, I, if I'd have been drinking at home, I don't know if, if I got a call. I don't know if I'd have left or not, especially if I had younger kids at home. Shit, I would. If I'd been drinking and, and I knew the guy, yeah. if, if it was, I would just, it, I wouldn't even thought about it. You'd have, you'd have but, left. But I don't think, if they said, I mean, I don't know, double double the limit, and I looked that up, that's not a terribly lot to be drinking. Point one six. Unless he never drank. You know, if yeah. you never drink and then you're one six, that's a lot. But if you drink a lot, then yeah, it's what it's four drinks is what it is. If you drink four drinks in an hour, depending on your weight, you're double. Yeah, or something like that. So it's not a lot, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, and I was wondering where where the hell was he going? That was that's my question. I mean, nobody knows because, like you said, we don't really even know if he got the phone call, right? I mean, no, not I mean, really. Like you said, hypothetically, I guess it comes from. I guess his daughter would be the only one to know if the phone rang or not, right? Yeah. I mean, so, I, I mean, I don't know, but if something had come up and this dude's been threatening my kids all this time and he calls me up, we're going to come meet me here, then I'm going. Yeah, I get it. Me. I mean, I get it. But it just, like you said, mm-hmm. the the amount of alcohol in his system, and Paul, I mean, uh, Ron wasn't one to drink. So they say, yeah. Yeah, so they say. So, like, But if he'd had a few beers or... Mm-hmm. He, you know, he could have been, he could have been buzzing pretty good. Yeah, now if you ten beers deep, so, and you don't drink, then definitely you ain't going, probably, because you, you know better. Yeah, and so you bring up a really good, a really good next point, which was, he's portrayed, Paul Freshour, and, and Ron, they, he, he said that they, 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 uh, they didn't drink a lot. They weren't drinkers, right? So that's why this is so suspect as well, like mm-hmm. that he was drunk. Um, or that they say that he was drunk. Um, so Ron was five seven, and he weighed one fifty five. Okay, so he, he's a he little guy, right? He wasn't a big guy. He wasn't a really big. He wasn't a really big guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his the 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 ethanol was point one six. Yeah. So it was like at point zero eight to point four, you're very impaired. So he's he's you know he's he's definitely intoxicated he's probably he's definitely definitely probably if that is even a thing definitely probably too drunk to drive um but he's he's been drinking over time to get that much to get that alcohol in him right so um we don't know if he we don't know if he got a call we we know the story is that he got a call, right? But we don't know kind of where that story came from. But something got him so, riled up, yeah. I'm sorry. I said, well, something seems to have gotten him riled up. Something so hypothetic, and I think I think that there is something to that. Like for for someone, let's say he got a telephone call, something you know um, motivated him to leave the house, right? To so he's he's getting up to leave the house. 
Um, and again, like the, the story is that he grabs his H&H revolver, a Model 900. Um, he is found in the car with, with, this, with this revolver. He is also found with a one box of 22 caliber Winchester Western Wildcat ammo. Mm-hmm. Right. Is in the car with him. So this, you know, this gives me pause and it makes me think, okay, so let's pretend I just get this call. I've been drinking, but I'm now, I'm now going to take an action. I'm going to arm myself and I'm going to, I'm going to arm myself and I'm going to go, I'm going to go get this person who's, who's been terrorizing my family, right? Well, I'm going to make them stop. So why do I, and I get the gun from wherever I'm keeping the gun in the house, you know, maybe it's a drawer. Why do I take the ammo with me? Right. Especially if you know it's loaded. If I know it's loaded and I've got nine rounds or eight, yeah, nine rounds. Right. Why do I take the ammo with me? Right. Especially if I've been drinking, I'm grabbing the gun and I'm, I'm, I'm making sure it's loaded and I'm going, right? Because if you, I can't, if know, I can't deal with this problem within, within nine rounds, you know, then, <laughs> you know, then I think it's, then that's a whole other, that's a whole other set of circumstances. Exactly. The only thing I could think is that like if he just jerked the drawer open and, or wherever he would have kept the gun and it was laying side by side and he just reached and grabbed both at the same time. Grab both and maybe bring them both into the car and, and yeah, yeah. throw it in the seat and take off. I don't know. It just seems. It just seems mm-hmm. to me, grabbing the ammo too. That that brings in motivation. He's thought about this. You know, if it's, if it's a hasty moment, grab the gun and go. But if he grabs the ammo, he's he's thought mm-hmm. about it. Well, think about it. I mean, a twenty-two, but it's just a tiny box. True. I mean, it's tiny, tiny. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. It, so you know, if if you grab, I don't know, maybe it's like maybe he didn't realize, maybe he didn't know, I don't know how many was in this gun. I don't know. Could have been, but I don't know if his. I guess if you thought that, you'd check it before he left. But if he was in, I don't know. Just this whole thing, just <laughs> I'm befuddled. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So it, you know, and this is this is the thought too, because again, he's he's drinking. He's hypothetically he's gotten a call, right? He's gotten a call. He's now immediately propelled into action. So I don't know if he if he takes the ammo, like you said, it's it's motivate. He's he's been thinking about it, but this seems much more like a. It's presented as much more of a spur of the argument, okay, right. um, decision. Yeah, right. Like okay, I know where this guy's going to be. I'm going to go take care of this. The other thing that I thought was really fascinating about this report, the ballistics report, and sort of the report on the weapon itself, was there are traces of tan and red paint rubbed on the left side of the top of the top strap. Mm-hmm. So that tells me that there are, that he, he wherever he, Gillespie was keeping this weapon, it was in contact with something that was leaving a trace amount on it. It was rubbing on something that would leave a trace, trace paint on it. Yeah. A right. trace of, of tan and red paint. If you look at the interior of his car, of the model car of it, or the model truck that he drove, mm-hmm. the, the, um, the seat under the seat is red. Yeah. Is red paint. And then the glove box is red. Right. I know my dad had a truck just like that. Exactly like that. And the interior is painted. It's it's painted doors. Everything's painted. Mm -hmm. It was red and white just like that. 
even inside mm-hmm. the dash was painted. Yeah, it wasn't a plastic glove box. It was a it was a metal yeah. glove box, not an insert. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he's keeping the gun someplace that there's enough friction or there's something happening to it. But it's 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 getting it's it's contacting the top strap of the gun and getting transferred to the gun. So the weapon was found on him under him. Right. So mm-hmm. the weapon was found in the car under under his body. He was partially expelled from the car, from the windshield of the car on impact. So it was under his lower half. So I would put out the hypothesis that the gun and the ammo were always in the car. They were kept in the car. Yeah. But he didn't keep them in the house. He I kept them in the that. car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could buy that for sure. So if if he always keeps the gun and the ammo in the car, then you kind of can, can work yourself back to the point of getting the call. Was or why he left the house to begin with because it may not have been an urgent situation right he may not have been he may not have been upset because he didn't grab the weapon the weapon has always been in the car he Mm -hmm. somehow you know the story now becomes he got in the car he left the house got in the car and drove off but we don't know what his what his motivation was true he could have jumped in the truck went reached over opened the glove box Got the gun out, the bullet, the box could have been in front of the gun. Pulled it out first, set it in the seat, pulled the gun out, laid it in the seat beside him. If it yes. Because if it's he, laying in that dash, like you said, and he drives around, if it's not in a holster, it's going to be rubbing around on the paint, like you said, mm-hmm. per se. You know. Yes. At least that's the way you can or, explain it. Or it could be kept under the seat. True. Or yeah. Or on impact, when he hits the tree, everything everything in that car is going to crumple, right? Yeah. The, the, I actually do have some pictures that I'll make sure you guys get of um, photocopies of the crash. Oh, wow. And it is a, it is a pretty, you know, they're, they're, they're not gory, but it definitely, you can see that the car, the truck is... Um, it's a pretty nasty crash. a pretty crash. serious impact. Yeah. yeah, I've seen a few photos online of it, but anything you have, we'll be glad to get and look at yes. for oh, sure. yeah. you were you guys are welcome to welcome to all my research um marie let me ask yeah. you this do you do you mm-hmm. think that you know him sitting around at home drinking uh, he just got to thinking about this and mulling over it and just kept getting more pissed off about it and i'm upset i'm gonna i'm just gonna go take care of this right now and well yeah you know i think he did get a call so okay. i think that there was a reason that he left the house because i think you know, normally I don't think he would have, you know, had he been drinking, um, he would have left. He yeah. wouldn't have left his kids there alone, I don't think, unless That's, there was a unless there was a reason. I don't know if he was, I don't know if he was really mad or upset, but I know that there was a reason that he left the house. And then if you, if you look at where he was going on a map, he crashed at Five Points Pike, a turn off onto Five Points Pike. It's north of his home. So he was, the Gillespie's were in Circleville, um, on Brooks Miller Road in Circleville, sort of this, this uh, rural area. It was kind of farm area at the time. He's headed north to Columbus. He's headed out of town. He's headed out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's headed and he he misses the turn, or he misses, he misses the turn. He skids off the road 
and he has the impact with this with this tree which again if from what i was able to understand about that about that um road it's not a well lit he's driving at night it's not well lit in the least and he may not have been very familiar with um with the area like i think he might have gotten lost he was drinking he wasn't paying attention you know his mind was elsewhere and suddenly he didn't really realize where he was but he was still headed in the right direction like i think if he was headed to someplace in circleville which was you know closer to him he would have been he would have been going south mm. Hmm. So he was headed to, um, I think that he was headed to Columbus. I think that he was headed to, uh, to talk to Paul. And Paul lived in that direction? Yes. Hmm. He lived in, um, he lived outside of Columbus. He worked in Columbus. And about that time at night, he would have been just getting off of his shift at, um, where he worked at, An- at Anheuser-Busch. Mm-hmm. So I think that he did, he did go to confront or talk to Paul about what was going on, um, and I think that he did not, you know, he he because again he wasn't headed to the school or to Gordon Massey's home, which I would assume he would be headed to Gordon Massey's home, <laughs> you know, if he was really that upset about this affair, right? He would have. In a few drinks in, he would have gone. He would have gone there, but he didn't go to the school. He didn't. He didn't go there. He didn't go back to his work. Um, he headed in a direction that he knew that his brother-in-law um, lived. Yeah. Hmm. And the other interesting, I mean, the thing that I, I haven't necessarily had a chance to talk about, but the booby trap, where the booby trap sign was placed was an eighth of a mile from his from his crash that is very strange yeah very yes huh and mary the had sign yeah mary had to pass this way every day on her bus route too yes yes that, that would have been tough anyway yes i agree i agree and i think that you know you can kind of draw it out and say that it is very symbolic putting you know deciding like um deciding to try and kill someone with a booby trapped sign is 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 out there to begin with but then the placement of where you're going to do that seems very symbolic to me yeah it's it is it is a place that she would have to see but it is also an eighth of a mile from where from where um from where the crash was you would have so to be, I think, it would have yeah. to be very triggering for her too, you know, going through that area and then then seeing a sign with her daughter's mm-hmm. name on it and some derogatory mm-hmm. der- derogatory information about her daughter. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's got to it's got to raise some levels in her, you know, triggering triggering some stuff, which, which would want to make yeah. you make you want to get out and get the sign. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree with it with you. And I mean, at that point, you know, she had been targeted you know, so frequently, um, that I think that that would have, yeah, she, that would have been, that's what I would have done, right? I would have gone and I would have pulled the sign. I would have, you know, I think, I think that she showed a lot of restraint up to this point, actually. Yeah. Um, because it does seem like it was very, it was very targeted and it was very cruel and it was very, um, you know, it, I think now we don't necessarily, 
have the same frame of reference because you know there's internet trolls there's you know if you you know you can you can get shot down in the comments like we were talking about pretty frequently right um but this is so insidious because it's you know it's this again it's a small town it's very rural um it's relatively quiet and safe you know the sheriff that they had there was um sheriff radcliffe was the longest serving sheriff in american history yeah so it was like again sort of this idyllic town and yet you know they they whoever this letter writer was just kept at it kept at it relentlessly kind of pursuing this um you know this uh persecution of this one person all the way up to this, you know, all the way up to this event. And, you know, depending on who you talk to and what opinion you hold, even after Paul was arrested. Mm-hmm. So do you think, speaking of the booby trap, do you think it was crudely made on purpose? Or was it more of a mm-hmm. not going to go off, but look like it's going to go off? Or do you just think it was pitifully built? <laughs> if that makes so sense. This, I will be getting to the, into this in future episodes, but... I will tell you guys, it was not, it looked crudely made. However, it was functional. Hmm. It was functional. They tested the gun. They tested how it was, um, that it was loaded. The safety was off. Um, they tested the firing, like the, the, the firing pin. Um, how it was, you know, they, they basically, um, the, the bureau that they worked with took it apart and went through everything kind of with a fine truth tooth comb and said yeah this this would have this would have fired okay because i was we were kind of tossing that back and forth going well do you think it was even real or not or if it just looked good but i knew you uh would know more than we do so that's why i yeah well mary herself thought it was a like a um a prop gun like something you would use at a track meet yeah starter pistol so mary was mary was very lucky this thing didn't go off i think so I think that this was, that the intent was to kill her. So if she would have been that, so pissed off to jerk the whole damn thing off, you know, mm-hmm. it might have killed her. Yeah. If she mm-hmm. just pulled whatever I mean, they were trying to get her to pull. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that it was poorly put, that it was poorly put together and it didn't function, it didn't fire, I think is, is, is both luck and it might've been, it might've been, you know, poorly put together, but it wasn't on purpose right. poorly put together, right? It wasn't like a, a dummy gun with no bullet or whatever. It, that person who put it up there had the intent of it working. Mm-hmm. The fact that it didn't, you know, is they, maybe they didn't, they didn't string it up right or they didn't think about the pressure or whatever, but they were, that, that was definitely their intent. Yeah. So Paul bought this gun from a guy named Wesley Wales that he worked with at Anheuser-Busch. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul said the gun got stolen or lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, me, Dale and I have talked about this too. I mean, that's about as true as I wasn't with him before this happened to me. Yeah. Uh, I just don't, to me, I just don't buy that whole losing a gun thing or, or a gun getting stolen. I don't Stole another house. Yeah. Well, it does, you know, it, again, you want you talk about convenient alibis. I mean, um, he bought the, he purchased the gun just a month before the event. So I believe he purchased it before Christmas from Wells, 
reported it lost in or, or said it was lost in January. And then the event happened in February. Yeah. So it wasn't that he had this gun for a long period of time and then it was stolen, you know, um, and used in this, you know, used in this, uh, the booby trap. It was a much tighter, it's a much tighter um, time frame than, than I had originally realized it until I mapped it out. Um, and again, like he was, he had made efforts, him and a co-worker or a friend had made efforts to um, to try and find it. They never reported it stolen. Um, they said he, uh, you know, Paul alluded that other people in his family knew where that gun was kept. But there isn't, you know, there there isn't a lot of, there isn't a lot of, evidence that adds up to that gun being missing too because mm. i do think again if 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 it's stolen if something is stolen a bunch of stolen property and a gun um you know even if i'm even if i'm reticent to want to report it like maybe my significant other might say hey dummy you're gonna call the police and tell them that that gun was stolen because that was in our house and you know i think that i don't know just to me again going back to sort of like what would i have done it's i think i would have been like yeah you know you're right i would i if it's stolen and it's out there anything could happen with it right so i'm going to report it well he bought this but gun he, to protect his family so he said yes so he said yeah yes. so, so really if it was missing only person who could have gotten in my mind is karen and I don't know. And why would she get it? Unless she's trying to set him up. I don't know. This this damn case is so damn confusing and goes in more circles than we can amount. But and I'm like, is, is Karen the official Karen of Karens? <laughs> is this what it's come from? You know. But didn't and then Paul was the one who actually set up the vacation for them to go, right? And yes. you know, going so back Paul a good was, bit, but yeah. So Paul was yeah. So he was the one who set up the Florida trip, right? Right. So he set up the Florida trip and it was it was um, Paul, uh, Paul's wife, Karen Sue and Mary and I believe another friend of theirs. So mm -hmm. another 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 work friend of theirs. Um, but it wasn't, you know, like he's the one who set up the he's, he set up the trip to go. So he so they everyone knew everyone was out of town right. within the you know, that this, this small family dynamic. Um, they didn't know, uh, you know, according to, to Karen Sue and to their son at the time and to other family members, they didn't know that he had that gun. Okay. He didn't, he didn't disclose that he had that gun. Also, it's what's kind of, what's kind of strange about it is during that time, he's going through a contentious divorce from Karen Sue, yet he's buying the gun to protect, to protect his home. Right. Right. And so it's 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 sort of, you know, I don't you know, you, you can look at it in that way and say, well, you know, he, he, he can't really have it both ways. But I can understand there's there's it is it is a really gray area. Right. Uh, but the only thing that's known for sure is it, it was his gun. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was it was his gun. Um, and the ballistics are like the the forensics around removing a serial number from a gun are really interesting it's one of the things i'm going to get into but i'll tell you what if if 
if I ever, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm giving you guys all, I'm giving away any kind of plausible deniability with you guys right now. But <laughs> like, if I ever go out and try and, and try and uh, murder someone with a gun, you do not, that gun has to vanish entirely. Like, it cannot resurface because even though you, like, you can basically, you know, try and chop that serial number off of it, you can try and burn it off of it. It does not seem, it, it seems like they are able to revive and find that serial number, no matter what damage you inflict on that, on that weapon, yeah. which is impressive to yes. me. Cause I didn't, I had no idea about that. Yeah. They have a little so bit like higher it, pay grade on that. They can do that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, and so, you know, I, and I don't think, I don't think, you know, if you set forward the hypothesis that um, Paul did it, I think that he thought getting rid of that, getting rid of that um, serial number would have done it. And I think he did not, did not take into account um, the forensics that they have at their ability to, to, to restore it. Right. But the only thing they had against Paul was the gun being his. And he took off work that day that the booby trap was set. Yes. And yes. he did have some uh, alibi for that day. So I think some people were working at his home doing some different things and they'd seen him mm -hmm. around doing some stuff, but I don't know for the, for the entire day. If right, he, cause that would have been early in the morning. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. but it's, so he has, he has, you know, um, he has some of an alibi. He has, there's a lot of circumstantial, you know, evidence that indicates that, you know, he, he, anyone could take a day off from work. That's not a crime. You know, he planned on taking a day off from work. Um, really, the the main evidence against him in the trial were uh, was the gun. Um, and they admitted, uh, I want to say, 77 letters. I'd have to double check. They admitted a portion of letters into evidence. I think it was 39 letters. 39, yes, sorry, 77, Lord, that's that's the year, sorry. Um, I clearly need to go back and revisit some of my notes on this. It has been a little while. That's all good. But um, 39 letters that were targeting Mary Gillespie that, um, that the prosecution felt uh, showed intent. So they put in... Um, you know, so they, the, the judge admitted those, those 39 letters. And again, like that's, that is, um, one of the things that you can start thinking about with the trial is like, how, how fair is that? Like, is that, you know, does, does that, does that even tie to the murder? Right. Um, you know, did he even write those letters? How can you prove that he wrote those letters? Um, is it even a fair trial if you if you're influencing a jury, showing them all of these letters that say, hey, you know, you know, that could be, you know, you know, construed as being violent towards Mary. But were they? Um, and so I think that that it it definitely is. It's an interesting part of that case. And I don't um, I haven't really figured out for myself if I feel like that's a fair trial or if that's not a fair trial. I think having the evidence of the gun is a pretty big, is a pretty big, um, a pretty big point of um, contention with me that that's evidence that he, he had direct um, access to that. Yeah. You know, and that's, that is his gun. There's no way, there's no way around that. I don't know. I think 
having the letters and you know as part of it but they set him down to copy these letters to try to get a, a handwriting sample and actually show mm-hmm. him the letters in the envelopes and said write like this copy it yeah copy it and that's <laughs> that's the whole thing it sort of pisses me off yeah because <laughs> that's bullshit yeah that is that's that that shouldn't mm-hmm. even have, that shouldn't even have happened that's why i don't think it should have been left in you know as part of evidence for that particular reason but, i agree with you yeah they they definitely did not go about collecting a portion of their samples in the way that you're supposed to, right? You're not supposed to tell them what you want to write or how you want them to write it. You're just supposed to collect a sample of their writing. Um, One of the things that I don't know if it's, um, if it's kind of as um, widely known in the trial is the, uh, the investigators did collect other writing samples to compare. So it, it was basically almost like a three-way match. Like they had these letters from the Circleville letter writer. Mm-hmm. Um, they were able to get records from um, from his employers with his handwriting that were just sort of like natural, like you know, natural writing as everyday writing. Right. And then they had sort of m- much more of the prescriptive kind of rigged hey, write in all caps and say this, which shouldn't have been included. But you have three of them. Um, and I do think that where the prosecution fell down is they, uh, you know, and again, we can talk about this more in, when we get into the trial because the, the handwriting and the handwriting experts are, it's really an interesting, it's really an interesting kind of twist in it. Um, but I do think that that was, that added a lot of doubt in my mind about it. Cause you can't like, like you're saying, that's, that's just bullshit. You can't like, you can't tell somebody to write like that and then use that as evidence against somebody. But I do think that there was other, there was other evidence. There was other, um, there was other handwriting samples that they looked at that could have shown more of an indication that yes, he did write those letters. And speaking of that, uh, back when they all got together, we're talking about, Paul and Karen and uh, Ron and Mary all and discussing that they were getting these letters, right? And they decided <laughs> that they were going to write a letter back to somebody, whoever it was. David Longberry. Right. Okay, so everything that I saw is that Paul wrote those letters. Did Were those letters ever found or ever looked at? Did they back and go and then check those and see how, if any of that kind of, I mean, I figured well, it would be a good match or a good way to check it mm-hmm. anyway. So... I would ask you, how do you know that he, that they got together? I don't. I just, what I've just seen here and there, just from research, that they they all got together. And then like me and Donnie discussed too, even if they did, and even if Paul wrote them, who said they were ever mailed? And I I think that this is like, again, the fascinating thing about this case, right? It's like, there's all of these things that we take for, you know, the gospel, right? Like, hey, this absolutely happened. Like they all got together. And they wrote, and they and they decided to write these letters either to uh, to Longberry or to Massey's son, right? Depending on kind of where you hear this from, and it's right. going to, you know, telling them hey to back off, and that's why, that's why Paul wrote. Well, that's why they said Paul wrote those letters. Yes. The only person who that I've been able to find that said that they all got together um, was Paul. Hmm. That never came from uh, Mary at all, did it? Mary. No, 
No. And again, you know, I, I, I have her testimony, her court testimony. She doesn't, she doesn't talk about it in her court testimony. Hmm. They don't, well, they don't ask her about it, but she does not. It's not brought up. There's no evidence that that ever happened. Wow. I think the reason, one of the reasons that, you know, that, that, that got, that, that might've been started if, if Paul was the one who kind of introduced that and kind of built that into this, into the story of Circleville was he had to have some way of explaining why he could have written some of the letters because he admitted to the police that he wrote some of the, he wrote some of the letters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you admit these things to the police, you know, again, like the back, the backstory, you have to kind of the back, the way to back out of that is to say, yeah, but we all did it because we were trying to ferret out so-and-so, right? right? It's not yeah. It's not that I wrote the letters because I wrote the letters. It's because we were doing it. And for, we all got you know, together. To try and, and prove someone else did it. Exactly. Hmm. Good point. Yeah. Well, well, tell us a little bit about some of the the letters that were supposedly found in Paul's home. In the toilet or whatever? Some found so, in the... <laughs> Uh, the one that was found in the toilet? Yeah, and uh, some around the, the house. Back of the toilet. Yeah, because that's what we put them. I don't know about you guys or your listeners, but when my toilet gets backed up, the last thing I'm going to do is go fishing around down in there to see what's what's down there. No. <laughs> you know? Um, but uh, it, it sounded like there were a few times that Karen either saw envelopes or saw letters that had handwriting um, that were addressed to Mary, or that looked like, that looked like, um, that looked like the the Circleville letter writer. Yeah. Um, one of the times was yeah that 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 I think she made her son kind of get them out of the fish them out of the toilet to try and to try and see what was up with them. Um, and again, I don't know. You know, if you just look at the face value, of that I can't say that that's what that was, right? I don't. I don't think that they found anything in his home that was really a huge, you know, preponderance of evidence that he's that he was guilty about that. Mm-hmm. Um, weren't some of the letters? I mean, weren't there like twelve letters that had his fingerprints on them, supposedly? Yeah. So yeah. So and this is this is kind of the 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 big the what. Um, what did it for me, and I'm probably, you know, I'm probably, um, I'm pro- I, I probably buried the lead in all of this, but in the court evidence, if you, you know, you request, you request all these files, right, and you're going through it, um, the court kept, um, you know, and the vest- investigators kept all of these letters, so all these letters that were supposedly written when he was in jail, um, all these letters up till this, you know, up, up to his arrest, um, Anything that, you know, they they kept everything. And there were uh, at least a dozen, if not more, um, letters post his arrest with his fingerprints on them. Hmm. So, I mean, again, like, that's one of the things I'll go into that, too. I'll go into the, you know... um, because I think it's it's a fascinating. The next portion of it is really fascinating. The trial is interesting, but him in jail, um, you know, proclaiming his innocence, and these these letters, you know, still somehow are plaguing the community. Yeah, how could that be? How could that be? How could he be doing this if he's incarcerated? And they've got him under lock and key, and they watch him day and night. 
um, you know, and he had reporters come in, um, you know, trusted reporters come in and say, I, you know, I, they, they watch him like a hawk. How could he, he can't get this stuff out. There's no way somebody else is writing. Him. Um, I don't know how to answer that. I don't know how he, I don't know how you would get something out of prison. Um, I haven't learned that trick yet. However, I do know um, there's fingerprints. Fingerprints were on the actual letters that were mailed to people, you know, after he was convicted and in prison. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to like, did he write them? Mm, if his fingerprints fingerprints are on them, then, you know, you, you can play it out a couple different scenarios. Well, he was being framed and they got his fingerprints on there. Well, that's that's... That seems pretty laborious for somebody who's already in jail, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, or he was actually getting them out of the prison. He was actually mailing them. Yeah, but they had him in solitary confinement, and then the warden, you know, he, mm. he said that Paul Freshhower is not sending any letters out of this prison. They are not coming yeah. from him. I mean, mm. he, he went to the sheriff and told him that he's not sending any letters. That. So... In 1983, during, you know, in, in Ohio, prisons were, and incarceration were, was at a, um, was at a, a huge, a huge, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Sorry, guys. I'm, I am going to test you guys' patience on the editing. Um, <laughs> it was at an all-time high. They were at, like, well, not an all-time high, but they were 200% over capacity in their prisons. Mm. So he was never in a, um, he was never in like a solitary confinement situation. Um, and really, I would say that uh, if I was a warden of a prison and my, my, um, I had this inmate who made a point of, claiming you know how could i be getting something out of jail it would be in my best interest in my you know back as ego pride maybe but also my best interest to represent the public like this can't be happening this isn't happening because we we have the situation under control hmm. i think that and maybe also the warden felt that way maybe he honestly believes there's absolutely no way this this guy could be getting this stuff out of here However, I do know from, from my studies and from looking at it and from seeing when, where he was incarcerated, he was, he was moved around a bit. So he was in, he was in a few different prisons um, during, his, uh, during his incarceration. But it was at a time that there was a lot of people being locked up and they were way over capacity. Okay. Wow. So yeah. I, think, I think that, you know, I think that there may be more, more of a... a more to that than 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 it was you know he was kept in a he was kept in a locked box the entire time yeah right because i need to we had saw that, it out a that bit that more, was but, true you know hmm? i said we had saw you know where he was in in uh solitary that's why we were saying that so yeah that wasn't true no enough. but i mean that's that's what i thought too i mean okay. especially when i when i first started this i was like there's no way you could get something out of you know this amount out of prison right um, but I don't know if that's the case. Again, I think that that is something that we believe in the story because it's more appealing and it's also more convenient. Like, yeah. I want to believe that you can't get stuff out of prison. And it makes that's a great my, story, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, if somebody knew how to tell a great story, it was Paul. He was a masterful storyteller. He was really, really good at 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 image and at storytelling and and being able to be creative. Um, I mean, he one of my episodes is that he was he was a prison guard himself. Yeah. And um, and so he would know how to work the system the, for sure. Yeah. He, he, well, he would definitely know. He would definitely know a good bit about that. But he would also. Um, you know, he was one of the prisoners taken hostage in the riots in the, in the Ohio Penn riot. Um, and it's just very like, it's interesting how, how much, or how many times he, uh, is in a paper, you know, you know, that he had something really interesting happen to him. Um, and I just kind of, you know, thought about this as I was, I was finding all this stuff out, like, man, you know, I, I, I pride myself on having a pretty boring life. You know, I haven't <laughs> been, I haven't been, um, I wasn't a guard taken hostage in a prison riot, right. right? Um, for, for X amount of days. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, a, uh, convicted of a murder. I didn't commit within, you know, within a 10 year period. And I just, you know, I don't know if, it, it seems like a lot to happen to somebody. Again, you know, coincidences happen, but that's that's a that's a lot. Yeah, over and over and over, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I should ask you guys, like, who do you? What do you think happened? Oh, listen to you. I mean, I actually I thought it might have been Karen at first. You know, uh-huh. trying to set Paul up. You know, she was having an affair, and um, I don't know if she was wanting out of the marriage or not. And maybe trying to set him up, took the fall. So what? I, maybe I don't. I don't know. That's just what I was thinking. Yeah, me neither. I didn't know, and I was always like thinking, man, this Paul's getting railroaded. But then the more I think about it, like he's the one supposed to write the letters. He was the one that sent him on vacation. <laughs> it was his gun. I mean, it just when you start thinking back about it, he sure was in the center of a whole lot of this. Mm-hmm. It is. It's. It's. I think the the thing that has kept me with this case for so long is it's. It is, um, it's hard to break from a story, right? I I think it brings in so many things that we, you know, kind of believe in and, and, and fall for and, and that are satisfying in a mystery, right? Like we were saying, like, you know, that he was railroaded. He, you know, that this, this, his wife had it in for him. They were in a divorce you know, she got all the money. It's pretty convenient, you know, set up Mm. with the best friend and that, you know, and it's like, but it's also like as soon as you start to start to kind of look at some of the facts it, it's harder to substantiate those stories but i mean the, the power of the story and the power of his ability to tell a story is phenomenal it's yeah. phenomenal i mean he he uh paul propelled this all the way to to um to unsolved mysteries yeah. you know uh, Martin Yant, who was the investigator who originally, um, and the journalist who originally talked to Paul, knew Paul, and brought this to, you know, into a bigger into a bigger light, um, believes wholeheartedly in his innocence, and that that uh, that Karen Sue, you know, he believes that Karen Sue is 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 evil pretty much, um, and it's where like we kind of uh, part ways on what we believe on. It's mm-hmm. it's it's. Is really, I, I don't know. You know, like there is even sometimes I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, this is, 
this guy's really, if he did it, he's really good. He's yeah. really good, and he's really not a good guy. But, you know, you have to go, um, you have to, go to the, the guy that was seen with the El Camino on the side of the road near the, where the booby trap was set. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is another whole aspect of it. It was all left out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, so, you know, I, I, I think with that, it, what's hard about that is it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to substantiate, right? It's hard to find any, it's, it's enough of a, it's enough of a hole that it could be a red herring or it could be something. Well, I don't, an El Camino is not a very, it's not a very, you know, it's a unique car. It's very unique, especially yes. a yellow one. I mean, I'm thinking mm-hmm. if you're going to go doing some sneaking around and sticking a booby trap up, you're not going to drive to your bright yellow El Camino. A bright yellow El Camino, no. Because <laughs> you know people going to remember that. It's just not I, like I, yeah. It is a. It's a nice. That is a. That is a nice car, though. Um, or it's a very recognizable car. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I don't. I don't. I don't, to me, it doesn't have as much gravity or as much okay. um, as as uh, as some of the other as some of the other things that are much more evident. Like, do I think it's strange? Yeah, I don't know if it has enough to explain away or to to, um, to kind of to to poke big a hole a big enough hole in anything for me to to think about it. You know, like. I wish I could find out more about it, but I don't know. I don't know if it would lead anywhere. Mm-hmm. Do you think, Marie, that there were more than one Circleville letter writer? Mm, good question. I do. I think that I do think that there. I mean, I don't think this will come as a surprise to you, but I do think it was Paul. Um, I think that I think he was very persuasive. I believe that he um, might have had people that were close to him or family members helping him mm-hmm. to at least not not in a bed in a murder, an attempted murder, but to try and clear his name after when he was when he was in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's one of the that's one of the things that's that's hard to. Um, you know, one of the things that's, that's hard with this is it's such a compelling story. Like we were saying, it's a really interesting story and it's also about a family, Yes. right? So he had, um, you know, he had a wife, they had four kids, um, all of this stuff happened. They got divorced. They went through all of this, you know, and, and it has sort of like a tragic, it has some tragic end to it and that the family, you know, the Karen Sue, um, her her children, you know, they didn't come out unscathed of this themselves. And so, you know, in writing about this and learning about it and talking to people um, and doing the podcast about it, you know, I, I keep coming back to maybe one of the reasons I'm, I'm reticent to put out or I'm so slow on putting out the, the final episodes is it's really, it's about people. And like, this is, they're still kind of living with, well, not kind of, they're still living with the aftermath of what happened. Um, and so that's kind of one of the things that's, that, you know, I keep coming back to is that, yeah, I do think, I do think that he might've had help, but I don't think that it was anything that was, you know, I think that the, if he did, um, you know, I think it was, it was, uh, not willing, not, not, not necessarily unwilling, but it was definitely coercive. Yeah. 
emotionally, physically, I don't know, but I just feel like, you know, even after all said and done and he, he gets out of jail on parole and he moves to Florida with his new wife, you know, and, you know, like, like they were saying on the, um, on the, uh, unsolved mysteries, you know, he, he, you know, he just wants to clear his name and he's got a new life and he's, you know, he's done with Circleville, but like, there's still people in Circleville that are not done with this, you know, that have to live with this, um, you know, live with this reputation, live with kind of this, this under, you know, this being, you know, over them in some ways. So it's, it's hard. Yeah. I think I'm trying to figure out, like, I don't know about you guys in the subject matter, but it's, um, you know, how do you, how do you go about talking about stuff like this and, and putting this stuff out there and, and discussing it and, and still remembering like it's, there's, there's people somewhere in it. And I think that that's always what come, I come back to or you know, I try and try and um, try and remember. Yeah. The human aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. it's easy. Because I'll I'll be completely candid with you guys. I'm a ghoul. Like I love this stuff, right? Like I love looking at this stuff. I love looking at the crime scenes yeah. and being like, oh well, well, you know. And it's like, so it's it's easy for me to forget those things, and it's easy for me to be like, well, you know, I I'm just doing this for entertainment and stuff. But right. I also just I also do love doing it. So it's it's I try and keep the balance. Yeah. It's not easy sometimes. Yeah, we love researching these yeah. things and learning more about them, and you know, telling our listeners about what we learn. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a win-win for everybody. You know, to get these stories yeah. out there. Yeah, and then we run across you, and you got all this more, more, uh, all that much more than we did. So we're like, man, we gotta. And Donnie's like, I'm gonna ask her. <laughs> yeah. So that's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I know. I know, and it is. You know, and it, it is. It's really hard to. It's really hard to beat a good story. That's yeah. right. <laughs> you know? It's like a feeding frenzy. You more, you just want more and more. Oh wow! Is, that is very much so the truth. I mean, you're talking to somebody who just thought this was going to be a couple episodes, yeah. and then could be done with it. You know? Yeah, especially <laughs> like when somebody's telling you there's later, nothing left. I'm still not done with it. <laughs> yeah. People were like, "What? When are you going to put out another one? Of the, are you going to put out an episode again? Are you done?" I'm like, "No, I, I'm not done. I'm not done." Well, Marie, is there anything else you want to fill us in on about the Circleville Letter Writer? Any, any last um, thoughts or anything? Oh, I don't know. I I I hope I didn't color anyone's you know opinion too much. No, it's good. Um, I would love you know the research. You know the research hopefully speaks for itself. Um, you know if if anyone has any other thoughts or ideas about it, I'd love to hear it. Um, yeah, you know I think it's I think it's 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 good. It is a good story. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think someone posted on our Facebook page that didn't they have a sister that lived in Circleville? Yeah, yeah, I think it did. We read that the other day. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they couldn't wait for it to come out because they they were there. Yeah. Oh well, you know what Circleville is also very famous for? Pumpkin. Pumpkin festival. What I want to know is, do they decorate that water tower for Halloween? Do they put a jack o' lantern face on that thing? They must, right? I mean, yeah, I'm thinking if you don't, it's a, it's a tragedy if you don't. I'm just as soon as I, I looked it up and saw it, I'm like, man, they have to do this. Well, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> you should be doing a different one every year, right? A different one, yeah. yeah. Oh, contest. That's I mean, even hey, better. Yeah. If you're not setting aside money in your budget as a government to do that, there's something wrong. Yeah. I, that's. I would definitely be doing that. I keep wanting to go for, you know. Um, especially when i was in the midst of this i'm like oh man i should go because there's you know i could see this i could research that yeah um you know there's a lot of other there's a lot of other side stories that that are that come out of this the the vicky coke case 
mm-hmm. um, which, you know, gets gets wrapped up in this, the cold case um, from the 80s. But, you know, it really, what I was like, and I could go and I could see the festival, you know, the, and get some get some good fried food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always good. <laughs> out of it. Uh, so maybe, maybe this year, maybe this year. Yeah. Get some food and hit the beer truck or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. See the, see the the big pumpkins. Yeah. And then maybe razz some city employees about why they're not up there decorating that, like uh, you said. That'd, yeah. That'd be you better big. be putting a face on that pumpkin. <laughs> yes, incredible. they would. <laughs> well, Marie, we certainly appreciate you doing this. This is this means a lot to us. Oh yeah, a lot. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, guys, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, thank you for reaching out and. You know, I would I would love to come on again if you guys have any other any other spooky or fun stuff you guys get into. Yeah. I would love to love to help out. It's 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 always a pleasure. You get your uh, last four episodes done. We'll certainly have you back on and do a beautiful do a, do a recap on this and and talk some more about it. Yeah, and push everybody beautiful. over to check those out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we will you give bet. you. It's a date. Yeah, All absolutely. Right, we'll right, certainly <laughs> give you credit in the show notes for this, and uh, put a link to your podcast and your website on our in our show notes and everything. Give you full credit, and um, I got your address, and we'll get you some a shirt and some goodies sent out to you. Oh yeah, oh, for doing this. That's awesome. Thank you. I saw that shirt, and I was like, "Yes, sir, right there." <laughs> Please absolutely. and thank you. And yep. I will I will wear it with uh, I will wear it with pride in my neighborhood and in around. Awesome. Hope you don't get arrested wearing it. <laughs> Well, if I do, it'd be a great mugshot. They don't find the gun. There you go. We'll put the mugshot on our page. All right, (laughs) put the shirt on. (laughs) Better. Good deal. Well, thank you so much, guys, and and, uh, you know, thank you, thank you, listeners, for me too. We certainly will. Thank you, Marie. Thanks so much. You bet. Take care. Take care. Mm, Bye bye. All right, Dale. Again, we want to thank Marie for giving her time for this. And I know, man. Wow, wouldn't that be great? It's great. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. We're going to get out of here, bud. Let's roll. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack Crack House House Chronicles. Chronicles.